stand as we worship our God together. He's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Aren't you glad to be here worshiping God this morning? Hey, so glad you're here worshiping at the Ridge Church. Uh, it's great that we can worship God anywhere, but he also calls us to come together and worship him. And so, so glad that y'all are here. If this is your first time here, we'd sure appreciate it if you take one of the, the worship folders. And on the back of it, there's a little thing that's perforated. 
I actually said that word a lot of times. I don't get it right. Perforated, you pull that off, fill it out, and put it in our little uh, big red offering uh, box back there. We'd appreciate that. And uh, see somebody invitation uh, information desk. I knew I'd mess up one of them. Information desk back there, and uh, they'll give you a little gift. But so glad that, that everybody's here this morning as we worship our God together. Um, and also remember, um, if God calls you to give an offering this morning, it's back in that box, or you can do it online sometime, but uh, that's between you and God. Especially if you're visiting, we, we, just you being here is enough, so we appreciate that. Well, let's pray together. In Jesus' name, we lift you up. We pray that this morning that you'd help us just to forget about everything else crazy that's going on in this world and just put our mind, our thoughts on you, Lord. We praise you. Accept our praise, please, this morning. We want to make you happy. We want to make you smile. Use us, Lord, to bring you joy. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Let's go ahead. Remain standing, if you would.
day we get to see him in heaven. If you're already a Christian, eternal life begins whenever that happened for you. deserves it more and more. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Good to see everyone. 
And if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew 25. And as usual, the, the scripture will be up on the screen, but it's always good, again, to kind of parallel with your Bible as well. As we continue our series through the summer on the parables, and we're going to go through the month of September, and I've been doing kind of a mini-series inside of that on how to wait for the second coming of the Lord. And so waiting for me is sometimes... A challenge. I always want to be somewhere. How many of you are just on a pretty tight schedule and just do not like interruptions, all right? So learning to wait for me is, is sometimes a challenge. But in Matthew 24, again, we're going to review one more time. In Matthew 24, if you remember, the disciples and Jesus had just left the temple, and one of the disciples was just saying to Jesus how magnificent the temple was. And so as they crossed over, and Jesus said to that disciple, it was coming a day that not one stone would be left on top of another. And so as they crossed over the Kidron Valley over here to the Mount of Olives, and this would be a more of obviously a modern day look of being on the Mount of Olives, looking across the Kidron Valley over there. And again, where the Dome of the Rock is today is where the temple would have been in Jesus' day. And again, a model of it, it would have looked something like this as we've talked about the last few weeks. So they would have been sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking across the Kidron Valley over to the temple. Again, a massive complex. And they asked Jesus two things. First of all, tell us, when will these things be? When will the destruction of the temple happen? Second thing they asked, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so in Matthew 24 and 25, which we call the Olivet Discourse, because it was on the Mount of Olives, Jesus talks about his second coming. So the first part of Matthew 24, he's talking about signs of his coming. And those same signs are talked about in Mark 13, Luke 21, and Revelation 6 to 19. And the latter part of Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25, Jesus gives five parables on how to wait for the second coming. Now, I know my dad was someone who loved to study the book of Revelation. And I love to be around people who want to talk about the end times. And even though it's interesting to talk about that, we also have to realize God wants us to be busy while we're waiting for the second coming. And so these five parables, again, teach us how to wait for the second coming of the Lord. Now the first one, if you remember, uh, is as we're waiting, he reminds us he's going to come back on a very normal day. And he compares it to the time of Noah. Now again, I've heard pastors get up and make every uh, possible comparison between the days of Noah and the second coming. But that's not what it says. I mean, he's not saying somebody's going to build an ark when he comes back. He's not saying that every family on the earth is going to be corrupt except one. He doesn't make those comparisons. How it's like the days of Noah, he says, as in the days of Noah, people were marrying and giving in marriage. People were eating and drinking. And so the comparison is that in the days of Noah, they were just going about their everyday normal stuff until Noah got on the ark and the door was shut. And so will the coming be. It's going to come on a very normal Day And the Bible reminds us, as we've talked about, two women will be grinding at the mill. Most likely, mother, daughter, or two sisters. Two men will be out in the field. Most likely, a father, son, or two brothers. Two will be lying in bed, perhaps a husband and wife or siblings. And it's going to happen so suddenly, the Bible says, one will be taken and the other will be left. And again, we're reminded over and over about the second coming of the Lord there's going to be separation. And I want to tell you, that just, it's just heart-wrenching to think that people that live side by side, family who live side by side, perhaps will be forever separated in eternity because they were not ready for the coming of the Lord. And so the emphasis on the first one, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so the emphasis is be ready. Because again, he's going to come on an everyday, normal kind of a day. We need to be ready every day. Second parable he gives, he encourages us that while we're waiting, be a faithful and wise steward. And he talks about how he's gifted us in the body of Christ. And so while we're waiting for the Lord to come back, he wants us just to serve one another 
in the body of Christ. So while we're waiting, as God has gifted you, I think we're to use those gifts to serve the body of Christ. Now, do you need, at times, do you need a time just to kind of have a sabbatical and step back? Yeah, I think at times we need that. But you know, God has created us to serve. And so I just want to encourage you, stay faithful serving God. Even though no one may see what you're doing, God sees. And so just as God has gifted you, serve. And he ends the second one the same way or similar way. He says the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him at an hour that he's not aware of. And so again, in all these parables, watch. He's coming when you least suspect, so just stay busy serving. And we're living in a pretty crazy time in America. How many would you would agree with that? I mean, I've never seen anything like this, but let me just say this. It's possible to get so caught up in all the craziness, we forget to do what he wants us to do while we're waiting. And so again, don't get sucked into all the craziness. I just want to give you some good news. God is still on his throne. It's all going to work out. This doesn't change the plans of God. Now, again, God's called us all to different things, but while we're waiting, let's just stay busy doing what God has called us to do. Number three, we looked at the early part of Matthew 25. The third parable is the parable of the ten virgins. And again, a reminder, five were wise, five were foolish. And he didn't judge them because of their intentions, because all ten was planning to go in. He didn't judge them because of their morality. All ten were virgins. He didn't judge them by their number because there was five wise, five foolish. He didn't judge them because of what they were doing because they were all slumbering and sleeping. And at midnight, I would be along with them. I'm usually slumbering and sleeping at midnight. And so again, the Bible says at midnight there was a shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming! And again, Jewish culture, the bridegroom would often come in the middle of the night, which seems a little crazy to me, but he'd come in the middle of the night, so the bride had to always be ready because you did not know when the bridegroom was coming. So five were ready, five had extra oil, five were not. So again, these ten virgins who were all connected in some way to the bride, they, they probably knew each other, Five were ready, five were not. Again, the emphasis over and over and over is you need to be ready. There's going to be separation when he comes back. And so he says again after the third parable, Therefore be on the alert, be prepared and ready, for you do not know the day or the hour when the Son of Man is coming back. The fourth parable we looked at last week that while we're waiting, we need to increase the Lord's assets. As God has blessed us, with material things, he wants us just to share along the journey. And we talked about the parable of the talents. And again, in our thinking, the word talent means natural ability. And there is some truth to that. But really, the parable is teaching about finances. As we're waiting for the Lord to come back, he just wants us to use the resources that he's given us just to be a blessing to other people. And again, as you walk in the Spirit, I think it's a blessing to be able to give back. I mentioned last week and showed you a picture of the grave of a poor man and the grave of a rich man. I just want to again remind you, we're not going to take anything with us. We're going to, we're going to leave the same way that we entered according to Job 121. We came with nothing we're leaving with nothing. I heard Rick Stanley, who's Elvis Presley's stepbrother, a lot of people ask Rick Stanley, how much did Elvis leave? How much did he leave? And Rick Stanley would always reply, he left it all. I mean, the truth is, you're going to leave it all behind, not going to be able to take anything with you. And so while we're waiting for the Lord to come back, just to be faithful as the Holy Spirit leads you to share along the journey. And so in the parable, the guy who had received five talents doubled those. The guy that received two talents doubled those. But the guy that received one, he just went out and buried it. Now again, I just want to be honest, as I said last week, he didn't spend it on himself. He wasn't selfish. He didn't go out and squander it. He just literally did nothing with it. So I just want to remind you, whatever God gives us, whether it's natural ability, whether it's finances, whether it's gifts of the Spirit, he wants us just to be faithful using what he's gifted us with, all right? 
And so today we're going to be look at the fifth and final parable here in Matthew 25 that while we're waiting, we need to allow ourselves to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And so we're going to look at the parable of the sheep and the goats. And I've preached this for a long time and I've heard a lot of different angles about it, but I'm just going to kind of just share. So I'm going to ask you all to read with me, if you will, from Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, okay? And by the way, as I've read this over the years, I always imagine myself as a sheep. You want to be the sheep, right? You do not want to be the goat on the left hand. All right, so let's read together. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on His left. Now let's just look at that one more time. I want to see one phrase in there. And just kind of imagine as everybody comes before him, and again, perhaps the sheep and the goat were living side by side. But one day, there's going to come a day that there's going to be a separation. We're told that over and over and over. That's why he says, make sure your house is in order. Make sure you're living every day as though this might be the day, because we do not know when he's coming back. But the Bible says that he will separate the sheep from the goats. How many of you are glad that God is going to be the one doing that and not us? You know, if I were separating sheep and goats, I would look at somebody who's done me wrong and say, you over in the goat side. I look at a family member, I would want all my family members on the sheep side. I'd want all my church folks on the sheep side. But you know, God will ultimately know the heart of man. And it won't be man that makes that decision. God will separate. And there have been some of the, the parables about the great net and the wheat and the tares. It's the angels that separate the good from the bad. In this one, it's God himself that separates the sheep from the goats. So let's see, first of all, what he says to the sheep, all right? And again, you want to be on the sheep side? Everybody say, I want to be on the sheep side. Definitely want to be on the sheep side, right? Just think sheep, all right? Think sheep. So he says to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and, and uh, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now notice what the sheep say. The sheep and the goats, in essence, say the same thing to God. They say that they were totally unaware that they did or didn't do. All of them are completely unaware. So he says to the sheep, man, you guys were providing food and drink and clothing. I was in, in prison and you came to visit me. And so they're really totally caught off guard. They really have no clue that they did any of those things. Notice what they say. The righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Isn't it kind of amazing that these sheep were totally unaware that they were doing these things. Now that tells me that as we're waiting for the Lord to come back, we're to take on the nature of the shepherd. When the sheep become like the shepherd, and I thought about in this story, and I've read this, I've taught this, but this week for the very first time when I was reading this, it dawned on me that I was somebody in need of spiritual food. I was someone in spiritual bondage. I was that person that needed that help. And aren't you glad that the shepherd came down to this earth to set free those who were in bondage? He was the living bread. He was the one providing living water. I never realized until I thought about the shepherd was the one that set us free in a spiritual sense. And he says to these sheep, you, in essence, have become like me. You literally are allowing me to flow through your life, and you, too, are meeting needs as you go through your everyday life. But they weren't even aware of it. 
You know, if we were aware of it, we would be keeping track and we would be keeping score and be kind of proud of what all we were doing. But I just want to tell you, the most surprised people in heaven are going to be the believers when God begins to tell them all the things that they have done right and they're totally unaware of it. Isn't that kind of interesting? They had no idea they were doing those things. But they were just being like the shepherd and just giving back along the journey. And also to those on his left hand, who obviously we don't want to be on the goat side, he says to those, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Now notice, they too are totally unaware. Both the sheep and the goats are completely unaware of what they were doing or not doing. That's what makes me think it's just a natural thing that they do as they walk with God. They will an- then they will answer and say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked and sick and in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Can I just tell you, you want to be a sheep. But it's amazing in this story of the sheep and the goats that both were completely unaware of what they were doing or not doing. And here's what I believe, that as we begin to walk with God and we begin to walk in the Spirit, we find ourselves just being like the shepherd. When the sheep become like the shepherd, they don't really, really know what they're doing. They're just naturally giving back and loving on people along the journey. And I believe that's how God intended it for be. Now, I believe that it's true physically that we need to give back and we need to help people who are struggling. I want to give you a few people who have been an inspiration to me as far as giving out to the least of these. William and Catherine Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, Back in the 1800s when they visited the inner city of London and when they saw the poverty of the streets of London, they were just drawn to these people. And most of the churches rejected what they were doing early on, but they would come to embrace them. And William Booth, when he was asked to speak at a convention later, and by the way, it started in 1865 and today there's over 100 countries that have the Salvation Army that are ministering to the poorest of the poor. And he was asked to speak at this convention and he could not get there. He was tied up helping people. And so he sent a note with one word on it. He sent a telegram with one word. And as they got up to read it and the place is packed, waiting to hear William Booth, they opened the telegram It said one word, others. I believe he devoted his life to help the poorest of the poor. And it's no wonder that when he died, they say when they laid him out, and they said hundreds and hundreds of people, bums, derelicts, homeless, they lined the streets and they would come by and they would weep over his dead body. They wept so much over his his body, they had to literally take it out and change the clothes because of all the people that had wept over his body. But I believe that as he gave back, I think he would be the first to say it's not about works. It's not about earning our way to heaven. That he made this comment, faith and works should travel side by side, step answering to step, like the legs of a man walking, first faith, then works, then faith again, then works again, until they can scarcely distinguish which is the one and which is the other. You know, I believe our love for God should be so natural that we we walk by faith, and as we're walking by faith, we're naturally going to give back along the journey, whether it's physically or spiritually. I believe that's going to be true of the believer. I like uh, Mother Teresa. I know she's Catholic, but she is somebody I look at, and she's someone who really gave her life to the poorest of the poor in India. And I love a quote that she gives. She says, wherever God has put you, that is your vocation. It's not what we do, but how much we love, how much love we put into it. And I really think that's true. It's not about going to Calcutta and being another Mother Teresa. I think she's just saying that whatever God has called you to, 
put love into it. Allow the Spirit to flow through what you do, and you can make a difference. I think God wants us all to make a difference in everyday, normal life while we're waiting on the second coming. Brennan Manning has also been someone who's inspired me recently. He also kind of devoted his life to the poorest of the poor. He voluntarily went to a Switzerland prison. He, He voluntarily went in, and only the warden knew his identity, that he was a minister because he wanted to reach the people inside the prison. Can you imagine voluntarily being willing to go into a prison and just to be among the prisoners so you can reach them with the gospel? I mean, he lived in a garbage dump for six months just trying to reach out to the poorest of the poor, people who were crawling over scraped glass to find a little morsel of food. He wanted to live among them and live where they live for six months so that he could love on them and share the love of Jesus. He spent time on the shrimp boats because the shrimp boat workers weren't coming to church because they were always out on the shrimp boats. So he spent a year working with those shrimp boat guys. And how many of you know they didn't sing Victory in Jesus when they were out there? And They had a very crude language. But he so desired to reach the people who would not come to church that he was willing to go where they went. And he made this statement. He said, I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ. I have done nothing to deserve it. He says, in all the things I've done, I deserve nothing of the love of God. And so we're not working for brownie points. We're not working to earn the love of God. But because he's loved us and because he's given himself to us, here's what's going to be true of every sheep. They're going to give back along the journey. They're not even going to realize they're doing it, but they're naturally going to give back. I also love Franklin Graham, who's kind of devoted himself. We're involved with the Operation Christmas Child, the shoeboxes that go to children all around the world. He made this claim. He says, I've been called to the slums of the streets and the ditches of the world. And I just appreciate his passion. But the truth is, we're all called, not necessarily physically to go to the poorest of the poor, but I believe we're all called to give back along the journey. And so as we're waiting for the Lord to come back, why not share along the journey? And as I was uh, thinking about it this week in Luke chapter 4, again, I never thought of myself as the one who needed help until this week. I've preached this, I've taught this, but I've always saw myself as the sheep, which you always want to see yourself as the sheep, But I never really realized that I was that one that so desperately needed the Lord in my life. That he was willing to come and be the manna from heaven. He was willing to come and give living water. He was willing to come and set me free from the bondage of sin. And so as we have received that grace from God, we also want to give that grace out as we go through the journey. His very first sermon, he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm so thankful that the shepherd came and he spent time with those who were hurting. Whether it was a physical need, he would meet that. But he also met the spiritual needs as well and so in the parable of the sheep and the goats again what we realize when it's all said and done that the sheep are going to become like the shepherd that we too are going to give back along the journey it's just going to be something natural that we experience you know in my life this week i just sat down just kind of thinking about the people that have invested in me that i kind of forgot about And I just spent some time one evening, and I just got so overwhelmed at the people that had invested in my life. I think about a third and fourth grade teacher, and I forgot all about him. But I remember one of the first memories I have of Sunday school, I had a third and fourth grade Sunday school teacher that would bring different illustrations to class. I don't know why, but I I attached on to that. But I remember the first illustration I can ever remember, he brought an apple to class. I never had a Sunday school teacher bring an apple or bring anything, but he brought an apple and just began to talk about the love of God, and he had an illustration in his hand. Now, I don't even remember what his name was, but you know, he probably had no idea that one of those third and fourth grade boys that was probably cutting up and not paying all that much attention, 
his life would be forever impacted that he was willing to bring an apple and just invest in that Sunday school class. I've shared with you guys about Grandma Oster, who was the uh, fifth and sixth grade department director. And even though she seemed like 100 years old at the time, I don't know how old she was, she was the pastor's mom. We always called her Grandma Oster. But she had a, I didn't find out till later, but she, her goal for every year was that every boy and girl that came out of her department would have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there's some people that say, you know, when you get so old, you can't relate to young people. That's hogwash. I'm going to tell you, she had a passion, a love for those fifth and sixth graders. She didn't even drive, but she made her son, who was the pastor, she made him take her all around to all of our houses, and she would personally give us a quarterly and just love on us. Every Sunday, she'd raise her hand. It would just tremble, and she would quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 every single Sunday. And to this day, I remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know why? Because she quoted it every single week, and she poured her heart into us as fifth and sixth graders. I had the privilege, I think I've shared this, I had the privilege when she died, I was pastoring at Gerald, and her son, my pastor growing up, asked me to come and speak at her funeral. Talk about a privilege. How many of you know what I did? I held my hand up over her casket. I trembled just a little bit as she did. And I quoted Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know, one day in heaven, she probably's not even going to realize the imprint that she's left in this little boy's heart, but it's with me today. I think about Bruce Gerling, a friend of mine who was a year early, and we were sitting in church together on the night that I knew that I needed to give my heart to Jesus. And I was really struggling with coming forward, and I guess I looked miserable, I don't know, but I remember Bruce looking over at me and saying, I'll go with you if you want to go. I'm so thankful that I had a friend that was willing to walk down the aisle with me, and that was the first time, even though I was already a member of the church because I joined when I was eight years old, it wasn't until I was 13 that I knew that I knew that I knew I needed Jesus. I will be forever thankful to Bruce Gerling, and he probably had no idea that day he just encouraged me to do what God was calling me to do. Who would have ever dreamed? But he will always have an imprint in my life. I think about Dennis Stone, who was my youth pastor. We never had a youth pastor, and I'll tell you, we weren't the best youth group on the planet. I've shared my story. I'm just being honest. I was, I was really influenced by the world, and even though I came to church every week, my dad was a deacon, we literally did everything the world did through the week. I mean, we were involved with drinking and drugs, and my parents would say, as long as you're with the church, kids. I said, not a problem, Dad. It was the deacon's kids that got me involved with drugs. And I don't brag about it. I'm just saying we never had anybody that really invested in us. But when Dennis Stone came along, he met with just three of us, Ken Rodry, Gary Lake, and myself, for two years, every single Tuesday night, he met with us, and he knew kind of what was going on, but he never judged us, but he loved us with the love of Christ, and he discipled us, and there's no way he could have ever realized when he was investing every Tuesday night in just three, three young guys that that would forever change this young guy's life. I believe a part of my ministry and a part of who I am and what I've, I can ever accomplish for God I credit to Dennis Stone, who was willing to invest in this young man's life. I think about Gary Lake, who was a, a person God allowed me to be friends with. And when Gary got right with God, he was out on his own. He was living with his brother, and he made $105 a week. 105 That was back in the 70s. It may have been a little more money. It wasn't that much. But all of his bills, if you would add up all of his bills all month, he would still be behind. But when he got saved, he decided to give God $20 a week on 105. He gave God 20. There's no way on paper he could do it, but he did it. And when I got called to, to Gerald, I talked about being called to First Baptist Gerald for 325 a month, and people say, You're never going to make it. But I knew that if God could take care of Gary, he could take care of me. I, I watched God do it in Gary's life, and he encouraged me to trust God. I will forever be grateful that God allowed me to be a friend with, with Gary Lake. 
Ken Rodri's another friend. He was one of the three that met with us every Tuesday night. And when he got a place on his own, he let me come and stay with him when I was a youth pastor until he got married. Once he got married, he said, you got to go. There is, a, there is a line for friendship, right? And it, it was marriage. But he invested so much in me. I'll be forever grateful to Ken. And this week, one night, I just sat in front of the computer. And I just had an overwhelming sense of all the people that have invested in me. I'm so fortunate that from the Gerald campus, from the Fairview campus, and from this campus, I cannot tell you how many people have sent a text, or they've called, or they've dropped a note at a time that I was maybe going through some discouragement. My mom died when I was 13 years old. There's been a lot of mamas who have took me under their wing. I can't tell you how many godly women have kind of took me under the wing and maybe my, you know, I don't know how it works, but I mean, somehow maybe my mom nudged Jesus and he nudged some of these women. This guy needs help. I just want to say the parable of the sheep and the goats is that we're all going to be pretty surprised one day when we get on the other side to realize all of those little acts of kindness, all of those times that we invested in other people, God remembers. And again, you're not even going to really be aware of it. And that's the beauty of it. I think as we allow the Spirit to flow through our life, we're just naturally going to give back as He has given to us. I want to I close with a song called Thank You. It's a song I thought about when I thought about the sheep and the goats. It's a song about going to heaven and realizing the impact that a life has made that they were unaware of because that's what the, the parable of the sheep and the goats is all about. And I want to dedicate it to my church family. I want to dedicate it to all those people who have invested in me. I just cannot tell you, I just get, got so overwhelmed this week just thinking about how many people took time to invest. And I wasn't the easiest case. I was very hyper when I was young. I lived a, a pretty wild life when I was a teenager. I was probably the last one on the planet that anybody would want to invest in. But I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that people were willing to allow the love of God to flow through their life and invest in me. And I just want to thank you guys. And I just want to encourage you that while we're waiting for the second coming, don't get so caught up in the craziness that you forget just to live it every day. Just allow God to spill out your life. One day when we get to heaven, I think we're all going to be pretty amazed at how God used each of our lives to touch so many others. Listen to the words of this song. Someone called your name We turned and saw this young man And he was smiling as he came And he said, friend, you may not know me now And then he said, but wait You used to teach my Sunday school When I was only eight And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start and one day when you said that prayer I asked Jesus in my heart thank you for giving to the Lord 
said, remember the time A missionary came to your church And his pictures made you cry You didn't have much money But you gave it anyway Jesus took the gift you gave And that's why I'm here today One by one they came Far as the eye could see Each life somehow touched By your generosity Little things that you had done Sacrifices made Unnoticed on the earth In heaven now proclaimed I know up in heaven You're not supposed to cry But I am almost sure There were tears in your eyes As Jesus took your hand And you stood before the Lord He said, my child, look around you For great is your reward Thank you for giving to the Lord For I am alive that was changed Thank you for giving to the Lord I am so Let's stand together. Just want to just have just a moment of invitation, and maybe you're here, maybe for the first time in your life. Today's a day that you just feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. I believe right where you are, you can just acknowledge that Jesus died for you and ask Him to come into your life. I had the privilege yesterday of doing a funeral for a gentleman that, that came here for a while. And his wife asked me, she said, would you mind doing an invitation? Not at all. And so that place was pretty well packed out, and they had come because this guy had, had just left an imprint in so many lives. But I said to the crowd, I said, you know, the greatest tribute we can give to him is for us to give our life to the Lord. Because hopefully on the other side, everybody in this room is there because you've trusted Christ. And I just one more time, just want to encourage you, don't become weary in doing good. I just want to encourage you, a long life's journey, just allow the Spirit of God to flow through. Whether you're meeting a physical need or a spiritual need, you're doing what the shepherd wants you to do. No soul is unworthy to God. So let's just take a minute, if you're here today and maybe you're visiting and this is where the Lord is leading you to plug in, we invite you to slip out and come. 
are just right where you are, would you just ask God to fill you with his spirit as his child? You know, Jesus said in John 7, out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. That really is the Christian life, that everywhere you go, the spirit just spills out and you just meet needs of those around you. Let's just take a moment. If you need to slip out and come, you come. If not, just right where you are, would you just ask God to fill you with his spirit? have one decision we want to share uh mark and you want to introduce your wife rachel. rachel all right so mark and rachel they've been coming for a while they feel like the lord is leading them to officially plug in here and so i appreciate their heart by the way they've sat through two services already today so they were at the first service and i saw them sitting back over here and so they just wanted to make it official so if you rejoice in that how about a praise the lord uh, amen i mean love you guys man so I'm going to ask you guys, if you two don't mind, if you want to head to the back. And they'll be back in the back. And so normally we have you shake hands. You can wave, give a fist pump or something like that. But I appreciate their hearts. And I just want to say before I have a word of prayer how much I love my church family. I feel like so fortunate that I've been able to pastor three churches that have done so much for me. I just want to encourage you not to become discouraged. Just stay faithful every day. The things that we go unnoticed, he remembers. Let me pray and then we'll close with a song. Father, I just pray that you would fill us with your spirit. God, I pray that not one person in this room or not one person listening would, Father, walk away without Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for how you use your children just to bless other people along the journey. And I've received so much blessing. Father, may we never be the same as we wait for the second coming, that God, we will stay busy just serving you and just letting you spill out of our everyday life. In Jesus' name. Savior, he can move the